something the Buddha said that we should often remind ourselves of is one of those pithy sayings that last long after the person who said them is gone. One such saying, and you can't say whether it was the Buddha who first said it, it's probably the sort of thing that you hear from many people, but may may well have been one of those sayings that came from the Buddha originally is Kanohu Ma Upachaka don't let the moment pass you by. Gano, gano means moment. Wo means you. Uh, wo here is accusative. Ma upachaga means don't let, may the moment not overcome you or go beyond you. May the moment not pass you by. Don't let the moment pass you by. Time moves really quickly, you know. Life moves quickly. When we look, when we look back, we it's frightening how quickly it's all gone. No? Sometimes people get nostalgic thinking about where their lives are gone, where their lives have gone, disappeared in the infinity of the past. How quickly the days and weeks and months and years go by. And even that is, is is not is 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 not the not the least of it or not the that's not the the end of it even our our own life our whole life is just a moment a brief moment in time there was a story of a um an angel, a, a, a couple who were in heaven, and the wife passed away from heaven and was born as a human being in the morning. One, one fine morning they were out frolicking and enjoying themselves in heaven, and the wife suddenly passed away. can't remember the whole story. It's one of these famous Buddhist stories. My memory is so bad. And so the woman was born as a young girl and grew up and remembered her past life as an angel and realized that she had she had lost her, her, her glory in heaven. And so she worked all her life to try and do good deeds. She got married, had children, and she was about 60 or 70, I think, when she finally passed away.
and she was born right, right, right away in heaven again. Except now it was after the afternoon. It was the afternoon of, of the same day. So the husband sees her and says, "Oh, where were you? Where did you go this morning?" And here she had spent a, a whole lifetime down in, in on earth. That's how it is. That's the what they say the difference between heaven and heaven and earth, and of course the different levels of heaven and and so on are 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 yet uh, longer and longer in 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 length. So one human lifetime is just a day in in heaven in heaven in the lower heavens, and then the higher heavens it gets one day in those heavens is only your one lifetime in those heavens is only a day in the higher heavens or so on. It's more and more insanely long. The point where you are in the Brahma worlds, in the God world, God realms, they forget. They forget that they were born in these realms and they think they're eternal. It's so long. They just have no ability to, re to recollect back that far. So they think that they're eternal. Very easy to think you're eternal when you live so long. Very difficult to see impermanence, suffering, and non-self. Impossible, they say. In these realms, it's impossible to realize the Dhamma because there's no under, there's no ability to comprehend the three characteristics, or something like that. The point being. Time moves pretty quickly. Moves so quickly that you think it, it actually really just it really stands still. It's it's like a, it's like a paradox. It gets so fast that you think it's really meaningless. You, know? you think how long we've we've lived our lives and it's so pointless. It's so nothing. It's such an, a blink in the in the in the stream of of time and given that time is eternal you think well actually it's uh, it doesn't matter whether I, whether I catch this moment at all because there's more moments after it and if it's eternal then, then, <coughs> then there's no reason to to concern ourselves which is kind of true. You don't have to practice meditation. You don't have to cultivate good deeds. You see this woman, she did great deeds and was born in heaven and then lost it all. And then she had to spend her whole life just to get it all again. Her whole life was, it was so much work and effort just to get back in the afternoon. So it was like nothing to her husband who I looked for her during the day, and then in the afternoon she came back. And where, where did you go this evening? As though it was nothing. Where did you go this morning? As though she had only been gone a short time. Meaningless. Her whole life was not meaningless, but really, really very, very insignificant. And of course, even having done all those good deeds, her stay in heaven would not be permanent. But there are some reasons to argue against this idea that 
we should take things easy and let things go and not worry about this, not concern ourselves about uh, making use of the of the time that we have. The first one is that we're born as human as human beings, which is not a overly common occurrence. Very difficult for ordinary animals to be born as humans. Much easier for them to go round and round. Uh, being born an animal is not difficult. It doesn't take brains. It doesn't take goodness. It doesn't take anything any sort of special qualities. All you have to do is be stupid. <laughs> if you have no intelligence, no wisdom, if you not, don't care about good things, very easy to be born as, a, as an animal. But to be born as a human is a very special type of animal. Humans can go against their own uh, genes go against their own programming. Humans have the ability that an ordinary animals rarely, if ever, uh, exhibit, and that is to to reprogram themselves, to question their own intentions and to reprogram their habits and, and their, their behaviors. Humans have the potential to become totally free from bad habits, from unwholesome mind states. The ordinary animals don't have this. So who knows where we're going to go in their next lives? If we do good deeds, we'll maybe go to heaven or maybe be born again as a human being, but who knows? If we also do bad deeds, if we, so if we're, if we're lazy and careless and don't, don't concern ourselves about doing good deeds, let our bad deeds show as well, then who knows where we'll go? We might wind up in great suffering and get caught up in the trap which again is 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 all fine and good because maybe billions and billions and billions and trillions of years from now or lifetimes from now we might have another chance to be born a human being so it's all good if that's how you want to live but given the choice it does make sense that we should capitalize on the opportunity that we have to be born a human being. The second is not only we're born a human being, but we're born in a time when Buddhism is to be found in the world. So we take this for granted because Buddhism is very easy to... Well, we take it for granted because we're good at taking things for granted. We take for granted whatever we have. This is why the world is such a mess. We have such great luxury and, and opulence in the human realm that we've taken it for granted and now it's disappearing. The trees are disappearing, the weather's getting bad, the air is becoming poisonous, the water is poisonous. 
this is what we're taking for granted. This is the animal side of us. This uh, parasitic nature of, of, of existence that you see in animals as well. The only reason animals don't do it is because they're not smart enough. They don't have the brains to to take over the way we do. It's not that they're more conscious of of it. In fact, in, if you see how yeah, what animals do do when they have the chance, how how prone they are to overrunning and destroying and wreaking havoc on on the environment. The only reason they can't is they don't have the same intellectual capabilities as humans do. But we take a lot for granted, and so we lose it. We take it for granted, so we don't care for it. And we do the same with the Buddhist teaching. We take it for granted, and so we don't care for it, and slowly it's wasting away. Now, often all people care about are very simple teachings of the Buddha, or, or stories, or, or uh, maybe only interested in it philosophically or intellectually. In many Buddhist countries, they're only interested in memorizing it so they can teach it to others. But we're not caring for it, we're not, or, or we're less caring for it. And of course we've always been this way. Even in the Buddhist time, people didn't really care for the Dhamma the way they should, where they should have. And so it deteriorated. But the point here is we st it's still here, and there still are people caring for the Dhamma, practicing it concerning themselves with cultivating the Dhamma within them and, and uh, becoming practitioners of the Dhamma. And so we're all fortunate enough to have this greatness, this goodness, this truth in the world, this teaching in the world. And it's not going to last. Who knows how much longer it will last. The, the story goes that we got another 2,500 years, which is, of course, very little time. Especially considering the rest of it might be spent as a dog or a horse or a dung beetle. We don't know where we're going next. But now we have it, and if we don't capitalize on this opportunity that we've got, it's going to be over sooner than we can think, sooner than we know it. This is why I'm always encouraging people to ordain. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer to me. It's not like I'm saying everyone should ordain or, or it's, it's the way of the world to ordain, but look, we've got this very special opportunity. This is like a once-in-a-bazillion-year opportunity. Who knows when we'll get this chance again to be born a human being in the time of the Buddha. Come, let's, let's put our heart into this. Let's work together try to purify our minds, try to get rid of these evil, unwholesome, unskillful tendencies that exist inside of us. Let's work on this. Let's put our hearts into it. It's, it's, it's the best chance we have. Later on, if we, you know, who knows what comes next, but now we have this. We have the Buddhist teaching here, something that is perfect and pure and 
really and truly leads to peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. So this is the second reason. The third, um, the third reason is because we are actually, because we actually have the opportunity, we have the chance to practice the Buddha's teaching. So in many cases, there is no opportunity even for people who, well, for all the beings who are born in the world, very few of them are, are engaged actively in the practice of the Buddha's teaching. So many people are caught up in other religions, for example, which we would consider to be a wrong view because they are caught up in views and beliefs. They're caught up in, they're, they're dedicated to beliefs like if you believe in X, you will go to heaven. If you don't believe in X, you'll go to hell. If you if you do these rituals, you will be free for eternity and so on. So many people are of the belief that when you die, there's nothing. When you die, the mind stops. All of these we would consider to be wrong view. Because they're, they're based on on speculation or faith or, or, or brainwashing in many cases. And so it's rare to find people who get or, or appreciate the idea of not just scientific investigation but personal scientific investigation, investigation of your own reality, not just reality on a impersonal level, but your own existence, your own experience. It's very rare to find. But it's rare to find the, the, the opportunity, even when we, even for those people who want to. So first of all, it's the opportunity of having your mind set on it. Second of all, the opportunity of being physically located or phys physically situated in all way, in all aspects, such that you can take advantage of this this right view, this this good intention to to practice the Dhamma. So here we are, well situated. We have the text. We have the thoughts in our mind, the intentions in our mind. We even have what looks to be a, a community of meditators, people interested in meditation. So we have here daily the chance to at least do some basic group meditation and practice and study and dedication to the Dhamma. So it's another reason to, to to take this moment seriously is that we have not only is the Buddha's teaching in the world, but it's here for us. It's it's right with us. All we have to do is start practicing. All of the factors are in place. We're not starving. We're not 
in debt or slave, slave slaves to uh, we're not we're not enslaved to anyone and so on. We're not in danger for of our lives or our health. We have all these qualities, and then moreover, we have a meditation group. We have a group of people who are of like mind. We have a place, and we have the opportunity to practice. This is the third reason. The fourth reason is that while well, we've taken the opportunity, and here we are, right, ready to practice, right, ready to do the, the, this this practice. So the fourth reason is is it's not exactly a reason, but it's the fourth is the how how great this moment is. Why this moment is special is because we've actually not only got the opportunity but we've taken it. So many people have the opportunity to come here tonight, for example. And uh, many people don't, but certainly there are people who know about it and have for some reason rather decided not to come. Uh, and there will always be this this way. We will always be at times. We will uh, be lazy or or, or um, get sidetracked by other concerns or, or other attachments, other desires that make us want to do other things. But here we've taken this opportunity. We're here together. So all that we have left is to. Uh, make use of it and to practice so this is what we're doing I mean goodness is not just the, the Buddhist teaching is not just the practice of meditation all that we've done tonight is dedication to the Buddhist teaching it's something that we should be um, happy about or, or glad about or, or encouraged by the fact that we've taken this opportunity here we are we come in and we don't say bad things to each other, we don't do bad things, we don't even think bad thoughts. We come in and we're respectful and we pay respect to the Buddha. We offer uh, incense, candles, flowers to the Buddha. We, we make offerings to the Buddha out of respect and this is, even from that very act, it's a very special thing just thinking of someone who is so pure and perfect it puts our mind towards the idea of being pure and perfect of course this is why the Buddha said puja cha puja when you pay respect or homage to those who are worthy of homage this is a great blessing because whoever you pay homage to it's the sort of this is the sort of person that you become whoever you put up as your role model, of course, this is who you wind up being more and more like. So when we think about the Buddha, when we um, pay respect to the Buddha, this is putting him up as the ideal. Whoever this person was, we've never met him, but we know this is our ideal, a person who is free from defilement, a person who is perfectly wise, a person who has a great compassion to help other beings. This is the ideal that we maybe don't strive completely for, but we work as close as we can to become a disciple of this great being.
and then we begin chanting. Even the chanting, some people maybe wonder why we do chanting. It may be difficult, to, especially if you don't understand what's being said. When you don't understand the chanting, you often think it's maybe just some ritual and we don't know why we're doing it. Maybe it seems like it has no point for some people. Maybe that's a reason why they don't think to come. They think, ah, oh, chanting is not really useful. But then you think these are the words of the Buddha. So when you hear ganovo ma upachaga, even just hearing that, that's the words of the Buddha. It's a great blessing, especially when you know this is the words of the Buddha. Even if you don't know what's being said, there are these stories of a frog, for example, who was killed while he was listening to Buddha's teaching, or these bats that fell from the roof of a cave while they were listening to monks chanting the Abhidhamma. These cases of beings who became, whose minds became pure, not knowing what, the te what this was, but knowing that it was somehow holy or somehow special, and becoming gladdened and, and pacified by the, by the words, by the speech. There's something very powerful to the Buddha's teaching, especially when it's in Pali, in a language which is at least very close to what the Buddha actually spoke. So this is something that helps to purify and to, to pacify our minds and to help give rise to gladness and, and peace in the mind, which is very useful for meditation. And then we get to listen to the... Well, and then there's the, the chanting of the Buddha's teaching, especially when you, do, when you do know what's being said. So by memorizing the Buddha's teaching, then you always have this in your mind, puja ca puja niyanam, this idea of paying homage to those who are worthy of homage, and so many other, how many blessings, 37 or something, many, many blessings, 38, I can't remember. Asevana chambalanang panditanang chasevana Association, not associating with fools, association with the wise. This is a great, great blessing. And so on and so on. So many, just the, the Mangala Sutta alone is, is an incredible teaching for, my teacher said, if society, if the, if the world at large knew about these blessings and followed and practiced just these basic principles of, of life, and there would be no conflict in the world. Just this one sutta is, is very, very powerful. Every, so many things in there, maybe not everything, but so many things. We can see the Buddha's wisdom just in this sutta alone. That's why we chant it so often. It's a good one to remember. If you can't remember it, you go by the first letter. This is how I do it, this is how I can remember it. Ah. Pa, ba, ma, da, a, ga, ka, ta, pa, e. <laughs> Remember by the first the first syllable, and then you get it. Especially when you, you, you this is how people memorize things. You find ways to you find patterns, and it keeps it in the mind. 
So, for example, I, a little off-topic here, but it's useful. For example, this isn't quite how I do it, but ah. Uh, so I always remember the first one. Every remember, everybody remembers the first one, ah, uh, sevana. But the second and the third one, pb is is peanut butter. So you can remember it. Like I don't do that. I I never thought of that till now. But that's one way of remembering it because it's so ridiculous that you'll always you'll never forget that now. A peanut butter. So you think a peanut butter sandwich. That's how it starts. I'm sorry, it's not very respectful, but this is how you memorize things. The second one I do use is BM. I don't ever want to go into it; it's ridiculous. But you, you, so you, you you figure out what BM is. BM is Bank of Montreal for me, I think. MD and then MD is doctor. So I remember MD is is doctor, and so on and so on. See, very small, very tricks that you use. This is how I learned the Mangala Sutta. Anyway, totally off traffic, off off track, off topic. But this is if you if you learn about how people memorize things, you have to use you have to use uh, mnemonic devices. They're called. Point being, then we have this in our minds. We have the Mangala Sutta with us at all times. We don't need books. We can think of it, and we can use it when we're in times of distress, even. Even itipiso and swakato and, and supatipano, even just these three are, are great, very powerful. These are the words of the Buddha. This isn't someone made up later. The Buddha himself said, when you're afraid, you can use these, and they're very powerful. Just by chanting this when you're afraid or when you have trouble or when you're confused. My teacher said, you can even shorten it. He said... If you just think buddho me nato, dhammo me nato, sangho me nato, the Buddha is my refuge, the Dhamma is my refuge, the Sangha is my refuge. He said, This is, just remember this, wherever you go, keep this with you. It's a great protection. Like in the Buddha's time, there was people, would, the Buddhists would say, Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. So one time this woman, she tripped and she said, something like that. And there's a whole story involved with that one. But it's apparently something that people would, would use as a protection. In Thailand they also use these kind of things, ways of shortening the homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Very powerful. The most powerful is the Buddha's actual words. Itipiso, It means something. It's thinking about someone who's very pure and teachings that are very pure. And the Sangha who is very pure. Then we come and we listen to the Dhamma. This is another great, wholesome thing. Very difficult to listen to the Dhamma, no? difficult for us to get to this situation, this position, this situation, this opportunity that we have to listen to the Dhamma. Not easy to find for all the reasons already mentioned. Dogs and cats can't listen to the Dhamma. They can listen, but they can't understand the Dhamma. But difficult also to bear with it, because it's not exciting. 
It's, it doesn't appeal to our desires. It's not uh, pleasurable all the time. And you have to sit still and you have to bear with uh, pains and, and hunger and, and desires in the mind or boredom in the mind, aversions, uh, doubts in the mind, so many different things in the mind that you have to bear with just in order to hear the Dhamma. Even in the time of the Buddha, many people had trouble listening to the Dhamma based on their, their the defilements that were in their mind. So it's something that even just listening to the Dhamma is a kind of a training, especially when you use it as a meditation practice. So you can even, at the moment of hearing the Dhamma, you can apply the Dhamma to the, to the teaching. Go to the to the the talk. You hear sound, and the sound is arising and ceasing. When you say to yourself, "Hearing, hearing," you can use the Dhamma talk because it's such a good a good chance. There's nothing else you can do. You can't go anywhere if you use it to reflect on your own experience. And when we say, "Don't let the moment pass you by," you actually don't. You take the moment up, and you. you are mindful of the moment, watching your likes and dislikes, your wants and your aversion, your pains and your pleasure, being aware and, and, and studying yourself, turning the Dhamma inward, not just taking it for an intellectual exercise, but actually studying yourself, using it as a study tool. And of course, finally, the meditation practice itself. So this is what we really we take as the pinnacle of our meeting together is the actual meditation practice. Because the in the end, it's true that you don't have to hurry, you don't have to worry about all the time that you've lost or all the or how or what's going to happen in the future. The present moment is eternal. It's always here. The, the question is not whether we're going to have the opportunity to learn about the present moment. The question is whether we will and whether we'll know how to. How long has it taken us to get to this point where we actually know how to approach? We have a teaching on how to approach the present moment and how to study the present moment and how to straighten out our minds in regards to the present moment. And how long will this last? How long will we have this opportunity? Very, very uncertain. We have no idea. It could be gone tomorrow. And then that's it for us. So for this reason the Buddha said, Kanovo ma upachaka Acheva kichama tapa Today, the today is when we should make effort. We should do our work today. Who knows whether death will be even tomorrow? Maybe death will come tomorrow. So, on that note, let's begin our practice, and we can begin to take this moment seriously and use it to seriously learn about ourselves, study ourselves.